This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. And a good night of Shabbos. I'm Mashi Lipsker. This is Chai FM, 101.9 Chai FM. And here we are in a time of sadness, of loss, of grief, of national mourning. Our hearts are connected with the fresh grief in our holy land. And it's a time when we look for answers. We look for, we ask ourselves, what are we meant to be doing? How can we bring this madness to an end? The exile, the gullus has gone on for so long. What part can we play to make it all better? Better for everyone. A world of peace, a world of awareness of the presence of God, God as creator, God as constant, present, loving, father, partner. How do we make it all happen? Is it in our hands? And what exactly can we do? Baruch Hashem here in South Africa, the days are getting a bit longer. And so here we are going to light our Shabbos candles at 521. And please, God, even before that happens, may the redemption come to all of God's creation. So it's a time of difficulty, a time where for thousands of years we have been in semi-mourning, mourning for the loss of our holy temple, mourning the fact that God's presence is hidden in this world. And the question is, how can we, on a daily basis, somehow do something to make it all a bit better? So we know that 5,777 years ago, God created the world. And he had an idea. His desire was that he come and dwell amongst us. He created a limited world, a world limited in time and space. All these people, and somehow that he would be able to dwell amongst us. As the Medrash in Tanchuma says, God desired nisave loy dira he desired to dwell in this limited lower world amongst us. God created nature and wanted to dwell in this nether world. And the three pillars upon which the world rests give us a clue as to how to make God's dream come true. The pillars are the pillar of Torah, the pillar of prayer, and the pillar of good deeds. What is Torah? Torah is God's rationale. Torah is God's guidance, his wisdom. And when we live according to those ideals, when we follow it, when we're dedicated to it, we bring stability to God's world and hasten the time when God will dwell amongst us. When we connect with Hashem through prayer, prayer which is different to Torah study, 
as we mentioned the other week, Torah, when we study the Torah, we feel like a student at the feet of his mentor, his teacher. Dedicated. We want to understand. We strive to understand. We sweat to understand. And then we understand. Torah is something we try and live by. Prayer, it's like a child with his father. We pray to Hashem. It's an emotional experience. Torah study is a rational experience, an intellectual experience, a super rational experience. But tefillah, prayer, is an outpouring of the heart to our Father. We feel like a child, and we know that our Father will hear us. Some two and a half thousand years after God created the world, God appeared to the Jewish nation, to millions of people at Sinai. And he gave us his Torah. Although the Torah was in the world informally, as it were, he formally gave us the Torah. He taught it to Moshe. And the Torah is incorporated in the ten Dibroit. Now we call them the Ten Commandments, but it's much more than that. And in Hebrew, it's called the Aseres Hadibrois, the ten sayings that God said, and they are commandments. In an interesting insight, the Rebbe points out that the first word is Anoichi, I am the Lord your God. But the word used, we are taught, tells us something special about the Torah. Anoichi stands for I have written myself into the Torah. You want to find me, says Hashem? I'm there in the Torah. And yet, the Torah speaks the language of human beings. The Torah tells us how to conduct ourselves in nature. So, the ten sayings by which the world was created at the beginning of creation are now elucidated. They are illuminated. They are defined by the ten debris, by the ten commandments, as it were, which incorporate, which contain the entire Torah. In other words, God is in the world constantly creating it, And when we study Torah, he's in every word, in every law, in every story, and we know how to synthesize the physical and the spiritual. Our souls, before they came down into this world, were so aware of truth, of godliness, of spirituality, and we're taught that the soul is afraid to come down into this world very afraid because it has heard from souls that have returned how you lose your perspective totally in this world. This is a world of cheats, liars. This is a world of ungodliness. And when the soul comes down into this world, we are told the baby is born crying because he is rest away. He's torn away from that spiritual world. And the journey in this world 
is to discover godliness even though it is hidden. There's a story told of the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov, we're told, was once studying in the evening and he heard someone crying. He went on to discover that it was a child. A child in that evening standing somewhere and weeping and he found the child and he said why do you cry and the child said you know we were playing a game my friends and I we love this game and the game is called hide and seek in other words one person has to hide and everybody else has to look for them and it's great when they find you he said we're always looking for new places he said, today, I found a great place, a new place. Couldn't wait for my friends to come and find me. But they got tired and they went home to sleep. And I don't want to go home. I want them to come and find me. It will just take our relationship, our game, to a new level. And the Baal Shem Tov dried the eyes of the child and said, don't worry. And he went and he looked for the children and he reinterested them in the game. And then they found their friend and the reunion was absolutely special. And the Baal Shem Tov began to think, this is an example. God is hidden in nature. And people have given up. His children have given up. They no longer look for him. And Hashem is upset. And the Baal Shem Tov dedicated his life. Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov rededicated his life to waking up the children, to reinteresting them in the game or in the search. Search for God. He is found. He's everywhere. He's making the world come from nothing into reality at every moment. And he's waiting for us to look for him. And of course, that's our part. But we have another part. And that is that each one of us is given a soul mission when we come down into this world that nobody else can accomplish. God has partnered with us and with creation. God has partnered with us individually and collectively to make this world a home for him, to help him realize his innermost desire, because the word that the Medrash uses is nisave. He had a desire. He had a thirst. He had a taiva. He had this wish, an inner wish, a deep inner wish to dwell in this nether world. And so the soul has to descend into a dark world. And the soul is made up of five levels. And the higher levels are constantly connected and aware. They're aware of their source, who they are, their mission. But in this lower world... Those messages don't always come through clearly into the conscious. However, essentially we all have that awareness of who we are, where we come from, and where we're going to. We have something called a Muna, faith. 
and our faith gets covered over by materialism, by living in the world. But when we experience something where the world no longer matters, then our essence is revealed. Of course, when we think about the Jews during the Holocaust marching to their physical end, to the gas chambers, and what did they sing? They sang Anima Amin, I believe with a complete faith in the coming of the Mashiach. How did their spirits rise at that moment? How did they proclaim in the face of what seemed like the end, doom? How did they rally their inner faith? Because our inner faith is intact. It just needs to be revealed. And when things are clear, when we understand who we are, where we're going, and what we're all about, it just shines out tremendously and powerfully. This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. I'm Mashi Lipsker. I'm back with you here on 101.9 High FM. And let's remember that we're going to light our Shabbos candles today by 521. Big mitzvah lighting Shabbos candles. Erev Tisha B'Av. Get somebody else to light Shabbos candles as well. For we have the teaching of our sages. If you will care for, if you will be meticulous in the candles of Shabbos, I will show you the lights of Zion. Lighting Shabbos candles brings light to the world. And so does the Beit HaMikdash, the Holy Temple in Yerushalayim. And so does Torah, which is also called light. And if there's time, we'll share a special story. But we were speaking about the five levels of the Neshama. The soul comes down into the world, and it's a dark world. It's a world where physicality covers spirituality. They came down, we all come down to do a mission, but it is a world where materialism, physicality predominates. We don't see God as the Neshama was so aware of the divine presence before it came down into this world. But certain incidents in life strip away the external and we then just feel our essence emerge. Each one of us has a pintalayid. Our neshama is an actual part of the one above. And under certain circumstances, it just becomes revealed. And we shine out with pride, with strength, with dignity. Nothing to be afraid about, as it were. And so, the Baal Shem Tov, as we mentioned, dedicated his life to going around and re-interesting people in searching for God. And we try and carry on that legacy. We try and carry on being connected to the purpose for which we were created. There's a fascinating teaching. The previous Rebbe's father said, When Mashiach arrives, 
may be speedily in our days. People will start yearning after the bygone era of exile. What? This dark time? When people are at each other's throats, where there's so much greed and jealousy, where there's so much pain and illness, where there's so much misunderstanding, where there's so much division between people and nations. We're going to yearn for this? But he said, it is then that they'll start feeling regret that they did not dedicate themselves to divine service. What's this thing called divine service? We're going to have to talk about it. When Mashiach comes, people are going to feel sorry. They're going to yearn for the times of exile. Which aspect? Why? And he said, the fifth Rebbe said, it is then that they will feel literal anguish over their lack of avoida. And then he said, as for now, during the time of exile, these are the days of avoida, of divine service, to prepare oneself for the imminent coming of the Mashiach. How can we understand this? Especially because there's a Mishnah that teaches that one hour of repentance and good deeds in this world surpasses the entire life of the world to come. And of course, when we say the world to come, we want to speak about the time of Mashiach, the time of God realizing his dream of Dira B'Tachtainim, of having a dwelling place in his created world. So the Mishnah says that one hour of really changing. Repentance means coming back to who you really are. And good deeds. Ah, getting someone to light Shabbos candles. Good deeds. Understanding the benefit of tzedakah, of giving to the less fortunate, with money, with food, with words of comfort. Mitzvahs like tefillin. We don't realize their value. One hour of repentance and good deeds in this world surpasses the entire life of the world to come. But that Mishnah also says that an hour of bliss in the world to come surpasses the entire life of this world. The question is, which one is true? Is the future bliss what it's all about? Or is it the present good deeds that it's all about? Which one surpasses the other? Does one hour of repentance and good deeds in this world totally surpass all the pleasure of the future? Or does one hour of bliss in the future surpass the entire life that we live in this world? And the Rebbe explains that both statements are true. He said, in terms of our own satisfaction, nothing will surpass the world to come. Then it will be a time of great, great pleasure. We will get pleasure from the Ziv HaShchina, the radiance of the Divine Presence. 
That's the time we've been promised. That's the time of peace, of goodwill, of understanding. No more illness, no more poverty, and no more empty pursuits. The entire desire of the world will just be to know God. And the knowledge of God will cover the world as the waters cover the ocean beds. And the lamb will lie with the lion, with the, with the wolf. And it will be a time of peace, godliness. And we'll just want, our entire pursuit will be to know more and more and to rise higher and higher, closer and closer to Hashem, just to know Him better. It will be a time of bliss. So that we get. However, in terms of the satisfaction that Hashem gets from us, nothing can outshine one hour of us repenting, regretting, and doing good deeds. One hour of us coming back to who we really are. We are really spiritual beings in this physical world. Our bodies are the home, the house, the frame for the soul. But essentially we are spiritual beings. And an hour of repentance and good deeds that we undertake in this world, despite all the challenges, that gives God the greatest satisfaction. You know, when people get married, and we did marry God at Sinai, they dedicate themselves in a sense, somewhere in the back of their minds, they hear people saying, look, the whole life is not a honeymoon. And everything is not like the party. But when people stand under that chuppah, with hope in their hearts and determination, they say, yes. He says, I sanctify you to me with this ring and in his mind there's love there's dedication and there's a determination to make her happy and for them to build a home together and she by accepting the ring and the ksuba and in her silence and in her having walked around him she too is dedicated to building a home together and to being an ishak shera a fitting wife they know, they've seen that things don't remain like under the chuppah, where everybody's dressed so beautifully. She's had her makeup done, her hair done. She's wearing a beautiful dress. She looked for the right shoes, etc., etc. And the guests are there, and they're all dressed up. And there's a wonderful meal waiting, and there's music, and there's flowers, and there's drinks. And there's a photographer. But life ahead is not going to be at all times exactly like this. That still is the romantic stage. And we still need to go ahead to create and to build a loving marriage. And love is not infatuation. Love is in the hard times, in the difficult times, to try and uplift the other. And Hashem married us at Sinai. And yes, we want the pleasure of the world to come, 
but the satisfaction that he gets when we are dedicated to the marriage, even in the darkness of exile, is indescribable. Right now, we feel the lack of our own satisfaction, and we yearn for the honeymoon stage. We yearn to be back in the perfect world of the future. You know, back to the future. But we are told that when, at that time, we will look back and we won't have the pain anymore, there won't be that spiritual emptiness, we will remember all the opportunities we had to please Hashem by serving Him in the hard times. There were so many challenges. And we will remember the lost opportunities. We will wonder, why didn't we take advantage to the fullest of those temporary opportunities? They don't remain. The lost challenges will hurt us. The previous Rebbe used to say, in the time of Mashiach, in the era of redemption, we will grasp our heads in regret. We will seize our heads and say, Gewalt. While we were still in the time of Gullus, in the era of exile, we could have accomplished so much. Now is the time to hap arain. Now in the time when God's presence is hidden. This is a time of opportunity where every little good deed means so much. And when Mashiach will come very soon, we will rejoice in the challenges that we met. We will regret the opportunities that we lost. Because coming down into this world is not an empty exercise. As the Alter Rebbe quoted, Yerida Tzorech Aliyah. Every descent, every concealment, every darkness is for the purpose of a greater ascent. No beautiful building is destroyed except to rebuild it more beautifully. The children playing the game of hide and seek are hiding in order for the relationship to go to a new level. Hashem hidden in exile is for us to find Him. I've often quoted, and even online here, on, on radio, the story of the Jewish prisoner who in jail began to study about his heritage, connected with the rabbi who used to come and visit, began to discover who he was, began to discover that there's a purpose in everything that happens in this world and that everything is divinely directed. And when he learned, he understood that everything is by divine providence, by Hashkacha Pratit. It worried him. It troubled him. Why did God take me to jail? Why? If everything has a purpose, what am I doing here? And he was encouraged to write to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who amongst many other things answered him, and generally prisoners, and us, when we are in a dark place and a challenge. And what was the answer? The answer was, you're not in jail because you did a crime. A hundred other people did the same crime at the same time. You got caught. 
they didn't. Why did God cause you to get caught? Because in jail, in that place, in those circumstances, physical, social, your own circumstances, being in that place, there are sparks of holiness, of godliness that only you can elevate. In every dark situation, there's great light. The heavier the situation, the greater the light. The only choices, the only option we have is how we respond, how we choose to respond. When we respond correctly, amazing, amazing light is revealed. As we're told that in every exile and every darkness, there's great wealth. We can reach spiritual heights that are otherwise inaccessible. When despite all the awesome challenges, we stand steadfast, we know who we are. We continue to be dedicated to the purpose for which God created the world and our part in it. Just as in Egypt, it says that after they, they finished the exile of Egypt, it was promised and it happened. The Acharechein Yetzu Berchush Gadol. Abraham was promised that after your children would suffer in exile all those years, they will emerge with great wealth. We'll be right back after this short break. This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. Mashi Lipsker. It's Erev Shabbos, Parshas Devarim. We're starting a new book of the Torah, and Devarim means words. Interesting. Words are so important. The words of Torah, the words of prayer, and the words of comfort and upliftment that we give to other people and that we're waiting to be comforted by. For at this time, we are very, very squeezed, pressed, in a narrow, restricted situation. We cannot express ourselves on an ongoing basis in the way that we would that our soul would like to for we are limited in a physical world in a physical body we want to sing god's praises we want to proclaim him everywhere but god has desired a dwelling place here below which means that the soul should be in a body and we need to take time to look after the body the body needs to be fed, clothed, housed, rested. The body has needs. The soul is squeezed, as it were. But when we in our lives undergo a challenge and we choose the soul option, then we are like an olive that is pressed and a golden drop of oil emerges. And that oil can bring great illumination. We are in a month now called Menachem of. What does Menachem mean? It means he who comforts. Of is the father. Menachem of. He who comforts the father. Or it is a month Despite the month being a month of historical tragedy, it is a month in which 
God will comfort us. For we are told that every situation that is dark contains great light. And the darkness of Tisha B'Av, the darkness of the month of Av, certainly the first half of the month of Av, or until after, halfway into the tenth of Av. It's a time of darkness. It's a time when we have and are experiencing restriction, darkness, pain. But in that darkness, the darker the darkness, the greater the light. And the great light can only come into this world in a surreptitious way. And therefore we need to search in every pain and every tragedy and every loss for the great, great gift, the great spiritual heights that are otherwise inaccessible, which are accessible only through being squeezed. But not only will God comfort us during this time, we're going to comfort God. Menachem of comfort the Father. We are told, Beloved is Israel, for wherever they are exiled, the Shechina, God's presence, is with them. And when they return, then the Shechina is with them. God too will return when the exile is over. But personally, we often go through challenges. And when we meet those challenges, we actually, well, in those challenges, God is with us. As King David says, I am with him in his pain. I am with the person in his restricted place. And when we choose correctly, we redeem God as well. If we look at the word that King David chooses, he doesn't use the other word for I, which is ani, but the word anochi, the same word that starts the Ten Commandments, the same word which expresses the essence of God. God, as he cannot be described by any of his attributes, I am who I am. And also that God, this Anoichi symbolizes, has actually written himself into the Torah. We can discover him by living a Torah life. He is there for the taking. And in the month of Av, Hashem will comfort us with the future redemption But it is we who comfort Hashem when we choose correctly. The purpose of the destruction, the purpose of the exile is the future redemption. And it's emphasized by the name of the month in which this tragedy or these tragedies have occurred. The nature of the month, the hidden nature of the month is comfort. Nechama, nichum. And though we may be totally far with one good deed, although we may not be practicing the Torah, we can choose one good deed and free Hashem through doing that good deed. 
therefore, when Mashiach comes, we will yearn for the time of exile because we will realize how much comfort, how much joy, how much satisfaction we brought to Hashem and how much more we could have brought to Hashem. Yes, we yearn to be released from our pain. But let's remember that while we are in the pain, we need to use the opportunity to release the light that exists in this terrible descent, in this terrible hole that we might be in, in this terrible pain. There is light. And when we choose correctly that despite our own pain, we reach out to others, that despite our own pain, we reach out to Hashem, that despite our own pain, we try to do one more good deed. The comfort that we bring to Hashem is mirrored back to us, and Hashem uplifts us. I want to share something that moved me deeply, and it is a story about the Second Holy Temple. The first Holy Temple stood for 410 years, and the second one for 420 But after 330 years, cracks appeared in the temple. The temple was in bad shape. And somehow, there was a king by the name of Hordus, Herod, who decided to rebuild the temple, to make it beautiful again. Why did that happen? Who was this man? First of all, who was he? According to some opinions, he was not Jewish. Others say he was uh, a convert or came from um, someone who had converted. And he came from the lineage of Edom. And ultimately, he became king over Israel. How did it happen? He was appointed by Rome because the Romans ruled over the Holy Land of Israel from the after the second temple had been rebuilt for 240 years. From that time, the Romans already ran, ruled Eretz Israel. So what happened? He was a very cruel king. He was ruthless. He was vicious. And the Jewish people under his, um, under his rulership, under his kingship, suffered terribly. He did a terrible thing. He actually vented his anger on the wise men of Israel. Jewish people were struggling. They didn't love him, and it bothered him, and he actually killed out most of the Chachamim, most of the Chachmei HaTorah. Why? Because they didn't recognize his kingship. He was cruel, And he only left one wise man. 
And that was somebody by the name of Boba Bembuta. And why did he leave him? Basically because he wanted his advice. He wanted to be able to consult with him. But even that wise man, that great sage, wasn't just left alone. Hortus actually blinded him. Anyhow, he's a cruel man, he's a ruthless man, he's a vicious man. Why would he want to rebuild the Holy Temple? The only good thing he did was to rebuild the Holy Temple. But what made him do this? So this is what actually happened. One day, Hortus disguised himself as a simple person, and he actually came to talk to Baba Ben Buta, the only remaining sage. The sage did not recognize him. He wasn't introduced as the king. And the king wanted to get him to curse himself, the king. So he said, have you seen that lowly servant, that evil servant, Hordus? Have you seen what he does? For he was initially a slave. So Baba Ben Buta answered calmly. He said, so what should I do to him? So Hordus said, my master, curse him. So Baba Ben Buta said, no. In our holy Torah, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it is written, do not curse a king. And Baba Ben Buta continued, even if he were just wealthy, it is forbidden to curse him. For the Pasuk says there in Ecclesiastes in Kohelet, that in your private rooms, do not curse a rich man. And he went on, he said, and even if he's not rich, but he's just a leader, a nasi. It says in the book of Exodus, a leader in your nation, do not curse. So Hordas said, yeah, but that would apply to someone who behaves properly. As it says, v'nasi ba'amcha, lotaor, a leader in your nation. He says, well, what if the person doesn't behave like a Jew? He says, that Hordus, who I'm talking about, he doesn't behave like a Jew. So Baba Ben Buta said, I'm afraid of him. So Hordus said, Ach, don't worry, it's just the two of us here. Nobody will let, nobody will know. So Baba Ben Buta quoted what it says in the book of, of Kohelet. It says, The birds of the heavens will carry the sound. And when Hordus heard the wise answers of this Jew and how he goes according to his Torah, which is a Torah that brings refinement, you have to watch what you say, he was very moved and he said, had I known, I am Hordus, had I known that the Jewish sages are so careful with their speech and with their deeds, just as you have behaved, I would never have killed them. And he then said, what can I do to fix it? So Baba Bambuta said, just as you killed the sages, you have extinguished the light of the world, the refinement that needs to come into the world. He says, for the sages illuminate the world, as it says in the book of Proverbs, a mitzvah is a candle and Torah is light. So he said, go and be busy with the light of the world, rebuild the holy temple. 
The Holy Temple illuminates the world, as it is written in the book of Isaiah, that all the nations will stream to it, but the word shall stream is also the word for light. They will be drawn by its light. So Hurtis said, mm, but I'm afraid of the Roman government. So Baba Ben Buddha said, send a message, send a messenger with your request. It will take him a year to get there. He'll be in Rome for a year. He'll come back after a year. During that time, you'll be able to demolish and rebuild. So Hurtis liked the idea. It took him three years. And as he finished, the messenger came back and the messenger said, this is what Rome has answered. If you've not yet destroyed, if you've not yet demolished, don't. If you've already demolished the old but haven't rebuilt the new, leave it. Don't build the new. If you've already demolished and rebuilt, ah, this is the way wild servants, slaves behave. After they've done the deed, they ask for permission. And if you're so proud of your own strength, we know where you come from. You're not a king. You're not the son of a king. Hordus the slave, that's who you are. And this is how Hordus succeeded to fool, to trick, to get around the Roman Empire. And he rebuilt that temple. And it stood for another 90 years. But what moved me in the story, really, is how Torah addresses every aspect of life and how when we follow the ways of Torah, we are protected and we are blessed. Let us use today to bring extra nachas to Hashem. Let us give God the satisfaction that He has when we choose despite the darkness when we choose to see the light in the challenge, when we choose to seize every opportunity, every opportunity to perfect the world, let's take advantage of them to the fullest. Every mitzvah brings light. Kiner mitzvah. V'torah or. Let us increase the light in the world. Each one of us can. Candle by candle. The light will grow strong and the entire world will be bathed in the world of the future. Amen. A guten Shabbos, a guten Tomid.